Since I have been married, and I think this is also true for people who are in really tight-knit community, one of the great things about that is learning all the things that you are terribly bad at, <laughs> right? One of the things that I've noticed since I have been married to my wife is I am not naturally great at asking people good questions. I'm also not naturally great at relational competency at all, I guess. I have grown tremendously thanks to her influence and Jesus' influence on my life. But for instance, there would be instances early on in our marriage where we'd go, both go our separate ways and we'd meet with our respective friends and we'd come back and talk about the time that we had. And I'd ask her how it went and she would talk about how they had these really deep emotional and spiritual conversations. And then she'd ask me how my time went and I gave her one sentence and was like, yeah, it was good. And she was like, okay, well, did you ask him about his wife? And I was like, nope. Did you ask him about his kid? Nope. Well, how is he doing right now? I think okay. What did y'all talk about? Sports. Oh. Turns out I was not a very good friend. <laughs> and what's worse is whenever I would spend a couple hours with a particular person, and then Abby just in passing spends five minutes with that person, and she's like, man, I can't believe what's going on in that person's life. I'm like, what's going on in that person's life? It's like, you spent two hours with that person and you don't even know? <sighs> oh, relational depth. <laughs> it is oftentimes not our strong suit as humans, at least for me. I think a lot of times that shows up in our life. Like whenever we go to family gatherings or family holidays around the Thanksgiving table or something, we like to keep conversations as shallow as we possibly can. We like talking about, all right, how was, how was your year? Uh, how was your job? How, how are the chiefs doing? How are, how's the weather, you know, very surface level? Or whenever we're in situations where Debbie Downer comes into our friend group and starts constantly dumping all of their problems and just negative energy or whatever, we kind of have this propensity as humans to slowly take a couple steps away from the circle and start moving away, right? And I'm sure many of you, perhaps mostly men in here, had parents that expressed that crying is a sign of weakness, right? Just rub some dirt on it, get over it, stuff your emotions. We, as people, can be totally avoidant of others' emotions, others' thoughts, others' needs, and maybe even more so, our own. And it's no surprise then that almost 50% of women and almost 90% of men would say that they do not have a single friend that they are able to share everything with. It's no surprise that whenever I was working at Lipscomb last year, the number one word that my students used to describe themselves as was lonely. It's no surprise that suicides are on the rise and opioid addictions and deaths are on the rise and that the mental health field on the whole they are getting more and more professionals in that field. Why? Because people are not okay. I would imagine that though we can come here to church today and act like we have it all together, there are many people in these pews right now that are going through something really challenging and really hard, and I imagine a lot of you who feel that way feel like you are alone in that. What is it? that makes us as humans 
bury our emotions and not want to deal with them or not care enough to take time for the emotions or needs of other people. Maybe it's because we think the best way to handle our own emotions is to stuff them. Maybe it's because we're afraid of actually looking at ourselves in the mirror and seeing what monster might actually be there. And maybe we're afraid to attend to the needs of other people because we're just not aware of them. Or maybe it's because we can't see past the end of our own nose and we only look to our own needs and our own tasks and our own goals that are in front of us. Maybe it's because we fear that if we dig into another person's emotions, we're going to bring pain into our own life. And we don't want anybody to kill our vibe. Or maybe you just feel unequipped to do so. Whatever it is, church, we cannot settle for that emotional shallowness. We cannot settle to just be a church of small talk. Today we're going to continue our series, Church on Fire, looking at the book of Acts, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 16 today, if you want to turn there. And we're looking at how spirit-empowered people of God took the good news of Jesus and spread it to the world. And in Acts 16, at this point in the story, we read of one of Paul's adventures in Philippi. And it says that he was down at the river uh, as a place of prayer, because oftentimes if there was not a nearby synagogue, that's where people, worshipers, would gather to be together because of cleansing rituals or washing their hands So while he was in Philippi, I imagine that was a frequent thing that he would do. And in this process, he managed to get to know and meet Lydia, who was a worshiper of God, and her and her whole household were baptized and converted into Jesus, which was a very fruitful moment for Paul and his ministry. And so after making this a bit of a habit, there's this other story where there is a woman who has an unclean spirit who is owned by some other people and is making money for them because she has the fortune-telling ability. She's able to tell the future. And she's constantly walking behind Paul. (laughs) This is really funny. Walking behind Paul saying, these people will show you the way to salvation. And then in verse 18, Paul's response is just really funny. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed (laughs) that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. So, if you hear nothing else from my sermon today, if someone is annoying you, simply turn around and say, in the name of Jesus, no, I'm kidding, don't do that. You are going to lose a lot of friends quickly. But after the spirit leaves her, her owners get angry because they were robbed of the ability to make money because of her fortune-telling ability. And they go to the authorities and say, hey, These people are causing an uproar. you got to do something about them. And so ultimately they decide to flog Paul and Silas and imprison them. And we're picking back up in verse 23. It says, after they had been severely flogged, and again, Roman floggings are super severe. It would rip flesh off of people's sides. They were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. These are high-profile people. You have one job. Keep an eye on them. Make sure they do not get out. We need to make sure that they get what's coming to them. And whenever he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. How might you respond if you were Paul or Silas in this moment? God, I am living my life for you. I am giving everything for you. And you're not blessing my life. Actually, I'm being persecuted I'm being attacked by people. 
I'm being flogged. I am thrown in prison. God, what are you doing? Where are you? I imagine that might be a a common response that we would have. That's a natural response to have. But these guys are different. (laughs) In verse 25, it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. They were worshiping. In spite of actually being bleeding and being in prison at that moment, they were still worshiping God, lifting up their hands to God. How quick might we be able to do that whenever tragedy or hardship comes into our life? But while they are worshiping, we read of this happening in verse 26. It says, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose, which that's gotta be a very freaky moment to experience that. And the jailer woke up, duh, And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Remember, this guy was charged by his higher-ups. You have one job. You gotta make sure that these people are in and they're not gonna leave so that way we can handle them later. And then whenever he wakes up and sees that the door is open, he, he knows that they're gone. And I don't know what's going on in this person's life at this moment. I don't know what's going on in his family. I don't know if he's questioning his worth. I don't know if this was the last job that he could hold down, or maybe if he was just totally afraid of the painful death that he was going to have for what he did. And he didn't want his family to see him go through that. I don't know, but whatever it is, he thought his life was over. He thought there was no more hope. But praise the Lord that Paul was there. In verse 28, it says, But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, because remember, this is really dark at this time. There's no electricity, right? And the jailer rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? In this moment of desperation, in this moment where God has shown up powerfully, this man was extremely receptive to receive any message that Paul was going to give him. And in verse 31 it says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, which again, thinking about this, Paul's ability to be present as he is suffering. I mean, he, he has severe wounds from this flogging, but he is so present and attuned to the needs of other people that even in the midst of pain, whenever he could have just shot out of that prison cell, he turns and sees the needs of this other person. That's a testament to the Holy Spirit. And then immediately, he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because they had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. I think this is such a powerful story for a lot of reasons. One, it very clearly demonstrates the sovereignty of God, right? Even in the most grim outlook you could possibly have, you are in a prison cell, you're gonna get punished for what you have done. God demonstrates that he is still there and he is in control of what's going on. Also, This shows us the power and the importance of worship 
and prayer, right? Because this magnificent thing, it happened while they were singing, while they were praying. This earthquake that led to them being free, right? Worship has so much power. But this also tells us how to live in suffering, right? How to rejoice, how to, how to be able to raise our hands to God even in the midst of this hardship. But the part that I really wanna hone in on today is Paul's interaction with this jailer. Because Paul could have left immediately. However, he was not in a hurry and he chose to press into this relationship with the jailer. Not be afraid of it, not to avoid it. Because Paul and his great love and concern for people, and especially those that don't know Jesus, he was able to radically alter this person's life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul knows that in crisis situations, that in hard emotional times, they're not times to avoid, but times to press in because in our deepest desperation, in our deepest hopelessness, in our deepest suffering, God's presence is oftentimes the most evident and oftentimes has the most potential for change in a person's life. There is something about death that makes us crave life. There is something about sickness that makes us appreciate health. There's something about hopelessness that makes us want hope. And maybe think of your own life. Whenever there were major turning points, whenever you started to know Jesus or love Jesus more, were any of those times marked by a significant challenge or significant pain or a crisis situation? I'm sure most of us have experienced something like that. And if we recognize that in ourselves, I think it's really important to recognize this as well. Another person's crisis could be your calling. This means that our presence, that our attunement to the needs of other people, it can alter the trajectory of another person's life forever, their eternal life. And to be clear, I'm not saying your job is to solve every person's crisis as if you have this some sort of savior complex. That's Jesus' role, right? Jesus is the savior. We're not trying to create a bunch of codependent people. I'm simply talking about whenever you notice somebody that's going through a crisis or a hardship, God may be calling you to be his presence in that moment. So we need to stay ready. We need to have a plan of how to recognize and how to enter into another person's crisis. And here are some things that I've learned and I want you to know, I am not an expert in any of these things I'm going to say. I am still learning in all of these things, but I have seen this to be helpful in handling some of these situations. And though this sermon is particularly about crisis, many of these points I believe can be true in all sorts of situations and relationships. So first thing, and church, we gotta do this for like a million reasons. Slow down. We are in such a hyper-individualistic culture and we just go, 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 go. Our culture loves pumping out workaholics and busybodies. We have to wage war on that. That is something we need to resist. Because <laughs> if we're not slowing down, if we're just constantly going from one task to the other, it is impossible, apart from the sheer grace of God, for you to actually be able to be in a place where you can recognize and see another person's need. So slow down. Jesus demonstrates this very clearly in his life, right? He often 
spent time away in solitude and in prayer to continue to grow and walk in step with the Father's will. And if the Son of God did that, I think we need to do that too. It's very important. Second, I think we as humans need to grow in our own emotional health and depth. Because if we can't be real with ourselves, it's going to be very difficult to be real and enter into another person's pain. So maybe seek a good therapist or find a good friend to help you grow in emotional depth. That's one of the beauties of community. Like I said at the beginning of the sermon, it's just, it's one of those things like whenever I'm in relationship with Abby or you have a close relationship with a friend, iron sharpens iron, right? We are getting closer to Christ-likeness in that moment. Third, I would say ask for God's eyes. Ask for God's heart. Pray to God, give me your heart. Give me your burden for people. And if we seek to look through God's eyes, we're gonna start seeing people with dignity and not as people to walk around and avoid. Fourth, assume that people are going through really hard things. I think this is really important because it's hard to identify crisis sometimes. Like sometimes people might actually be screaming, help me, and that's very clear that there's a crisis situation going on but even people who look super happy and that they got it all together. It could be that they're burying pain that they're feeling or they may not even be aware of it themselves. (laughs) Guys, we just came out of a global pandemic. That's a crisis. A lot of people lost relationships. A lot of people were divided. It was a hard time. It was a hard season. Like, to some degree, all of us are going through crisis situations. So it's important for us, I think, to acknowledge that people are going through hard stuff. And if we're not thinking that way, then we're not really going to care to go much deeper. Fifth, I would say show someone that you care about them by asking them good questions. Jesus was a master question asker. He diffused so many hard situations by asking the right question. And he led a lot of people into deeper spiritual formation because of asking the right question. God throughout scripture is a great question asker. I think about the book of Job. The last few chapters of that book is him just asking tons of questions to Job to give him greater perspective about what's going on. We need to ask really good questions. And I'm guilty of, like literally today, I said this twice, so I'm guilty. But the question, how are you doing? It's not helpful. It's very surface level. You are going to elicit the automatic response of fine or good. Unless the person you're talking to has a lot of emotional health and they're able to be honest and vulnerable with you in the moment and really tell you how they're doing. So I'm gonna put a couple questions up here that I think are helpful leading questions to help dig a little bit deeper. The first one should be a little obvious, but what is your name? It is so important to know someone's name and call them by name because what that communicates to somebody is you're not just a statistic, you're not just another face in the crowd. I care about who you are, your identity, and your dignity. That's a very important thing to know. But these other three, what's going on in your world, that kind of functions like a how are you doing in a way. You're going to get an answer that's not fine or good. You're gonna be able to hear what's been going on in that person's life and you might have a lot of different questions to bounce off of that. Uh, A good question to get into feeling and emotion is how have you been whatever lately? Or, sorry, not how. What's been 
uh, surprising you lately? What's been exciting you lately? These are ways that you're able to go a little bit deeper. And then this is my new favorite question. What's been taking up a lot of mind space for you lately? Because what you get whenever you ask that question is normally one of two things. You get a passion, you get a, a big interest in someone's life, or you get a concern or something hard that they're going through. Because that's oftentimes the stuff that takes up a lot of your mind space. And it's very open-ended, which is a hint. Open-ended questions are way better than yes or no questions. So what and how, great, great questions. I would be a little hesitant about why questions, because why can put people on the defensive? It's like, well, why do you believe that? Why do you think that? It can kind of make people be like, whoa, so like, what makes you say that? Where is that coming from? Different ways to say it, but I think asking good questions, super important. Next, when slash if something has been identified, be present and enter into the pit with them. I can't stress this point enough. Jesus demonstrates this incredibly well. You look at the scene with Lazarus, right? Everyone is mourning that Lazarus has died. Jesus, if you would have been here, he would have lived. And Jesus doesn't minimize their pain. He doesn't say, don't you know I'm the son of God? Don't you know I can raise them in an instant? He enters into the pit with them. He weeps with them. And we need to follow in our footsteps of our Lord in this. We as Christians, we love to give silver linings. That's something we love to do. And for good reason, right? We have the best silver lining imaginable. <laughs> we have a hope that never fades, a hope that helps us live our day-to-day -day life in confidence about what's going on. That's a great thing. But I think it's way more powerful, and I've experienced that it's way more powerful simply being with somebody, making eye contact with them, being present with them, putting an arm around them if they're comfortable with it. All of that is more powerful because you're entering into the pit with them. You're showing that you love them more than simply giving them a silver lining in that moment. And the or this isn't the last thing. Seven, speak the truth in love. And this one requires a lot of discernment. And if you're ever teetering on whether I should or shouldn't say something, probably lean towards don't. But this is an opportunity. Whenever someone is in a crisis situation, they're believing a lie about who they are. This is an opportunity to show the love of Jesus and tell somebody their worth. That God loves you. That God is for you. He delights in who you are. I love you, I care about you. Those are normally very safe things to say, but sometimes people are craving just to know, does somebody care about me, does somebody see me? And you have the opportunity to be the presence and the love of God in that moment. It is a powerful opportunity. And in these moments, people's hearts can be really fertile soil. They can be really receptive to the message of Jesus, the good news in Christ. And lastly, it is so important to know when to defer. We are all not trained therapists. So I don't think we necessarily should act like one. Whenever we feel like something is out of our league or there is something that's really hard going on, we need to acknowledge that and help walk with that person to get the help that they need. And I think that's something I learned very quickly in ministry 
uh, and in spiritual direction training, it is, it is just so important to know when you do not have competency in something to help find someone who is competent in that thing um, to help them get the help they need. And in doing things like this, church, what we're doing is we're able to be present like what Paul was doing in the situation with the Philippian jailer. And if these things are too much to remember, which eight points, I would not expect any of you probably to nail that, just try to do this. Be radically present with people wherever you go. Be present. Don't be looking to your next thing in the moment. Show someone you love them by cutting out time for them and not just getting to the next thing. Because people are crying out internally. I know of a person who suffered a very severe drug addiction, went through it, and it was terrible. And uh, he, his girlfriend broke up with him, and he was deeply depressed, deeply questioning his worth, did not see any purpose in his life, and had suicidal ideation. And it was such a hard, hard thing to see him go through. But his parents, his family, and he also agreed to this. They went to this Christian rehab center. And this was kind of, in their minds, a last hope, a last-ditch effort to help this child of theirs make a positive change in his life. And it is just so amazing to see how God transforms lives. This, this guy found Jesus at this place. This guy was surrounded by good, loving Christian community, and he was baptized at that rehab center. And to this day is one of the strongest disciples, one of the most vocal proponents for Christ because he lived it. It's almost like this slingshot where he was in this deep, deep crisis situation and things got harder and harder and harder. Whenever God set him free, man, he was ready to go. And how many stories are there like that? I mean, Paul's story is exactly like that. Church, we have no idea the impact that we can have simply by being present with people, simply by smiling at someone, simply by knowing their name and asking them a question. We have no clue the impact we can have. We have no clue what people are going through. People are in crisis everywhere, and sometimes they're just really good at disguising it. There is a mental health crisis currently in this county. There is in the world, but in this county specifically. Roughly, there is about one suicide threat call a day here on average. And a huge portion of those are men. We have no idea what our neighbors are dealing with, so we can't just skirt past our neighbors without caring for them. But like Paul, we need to learn to press in. See crisis situations as a calling from God, as a potential turning point for someone's life for the better. So today, church, let's be real. I know it's easy to settle and keep church very shallow and surface level. It's easy to want to talk about the Vols when they're doing good and lament when they're bad. <laughs> but that's not exactly what church was intended to be. It's not meant just to be a social gathering, right? It's meant 
to be about encouragement and communal life transformation into Christ-likeness. So let's be intentional. Let's be real with one another. Let's let our guards down and how we live and how we talk with each other here and how we worship. If you wanna run up and down the aisles because you feel the presence of God and you're just excited that God set you free, do it, right? We want, to be, we want people to feel like they can be authentic and fully themselves when they are here and they can let their guards down and find the healing that they need. And if you are experiencing something challenging today, if you feel alone, if you feel hopeless, if you feel like you're questioning your worth, Please, please, please hear me. Listen to me when I say this. Please talk to somebody. Do not suffer through what you're going through alone. I promise you, you're not alone in whatever you think you are going through. Today, talk with someone. I pray the Lord gives you courage to talk to someone. We're gonna have people lined up around the room during this next song that are intentionally there for you to find prayer and healing there. We believe in the power of prayer More than that, we believe in the power of God that sets people free. And we believe that it's possible today for there to be miraculous healing in a person's life. But even if the miraculous does not immediately happen in your life, we are here to journey with you through the long miraculous journey of being set free more and more into Christ's likeness. We want to journey with you in that, so do not suffer alone, please. And if you wanna give your life to Jesus today, and take him on in baptism. We already have two others going on, so let's get the train going, right? <laughs> and I, I wanna end just by inviting everyone in here. Let's ask real questions of each other. Let's, let's be in each other's lives and think of somebody that maybe you don't know very well or maybe someone that you know that is going through something hard. This morning, pause and get to know them a little bit. Dig deeper, ask good questions, be present in their life. Or maybe if you know someone who isn't here that is suffering and going through something hard, maybe that means write a card to them, maybe that means give them a call. It is so important that we be mindful of whenever people are going through hardship. And as we take the time to be present and attuned to the needs of other people, we are fighting against the enemy's schemes of isolation and deception. So may we be a church that is ready to answer that call. Let's pray. Lord, you know our hearts. You know exactly what we're going through. You know the stuff that we're trying to hide. You know the stuff that we are digging deep into our soul. Lord, give us the courage this morning to release those things. Give us the courage to ask for help. Lord, and I pray as we identify these things, these hard moments, these crisis situations, Lord, I pray that in this moment you speak into those. That you remind us of who we are and that you bring healing and you bring freedom into the darkest pits of our soul. And Lord, I pray that we as a church are mindful of the people that we walk around. We're mindful of the people in here that we're talking to. And Lord, I pray that you give us a heart for these people. Give us your eyes to see them. Help us to be Jesus. Help us to love in this moment.
We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your power and your love in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.